When Emo Outfit Midtown adjourned after a seven-year run, the members pursued various different directions, from running record labels to fronting classic rock-sounding bands. But nobody expected bassist Gabe Supporta to come out with his dancing shoes on fire as the leader of Cobra Starship. The first Cobra Starship release, 2006's While the City Sleeps, We Rule the Streets, got a leg, or a fang up, as it were, thanks to the inclusion of the song Bring It as the theme to the cult movie Snakes on a Plane. At the time, the Starship was supported in one-man band mode, occasionally joined by a few famous friends from bands like The Academy Is, All-American Rejects, and The Sounds. When he had to put together a band to play shows, he enlisted guitarist Rylan Blackington, bassist Alex Suarez, drummer Nate Navarro, and the lovely Victoria Asher on that much-maligned instrument, the guitar. Last year, Cobra Starship entered the studio as a band, under the production tutelage of Fall Out Boy frontman Patrick Stump, to record Viva La Cobra, a record that gives them the distinction of the best new band of 1984. For a band that wasn't around for the halcyon days of roller disco, mood rings, and members-only jackets, Team Supporta are having and bringing the fun in a big way. Cobra Commander Supporta and his Lieutenant Blackinson stopped by to hang with me at Lava Room Recording Studio to blow the breeze about freestyle music, the current state of the scene they came up in, and the eternal question of who's cooler, Weezer or Bon Jovi? I'm Jason Pettigrew, and this is the AP Podcast. You are listening to the AP Podcast. I'm Jason Pettigrew, Editor-in-Chief of Alternative Press Magazine, and I am in the studio with two charming young men from Cobra Starship, Gabe and Ryland. Hello. Ryland, good to have you here. Ryland, say hi, Ryland. Hello. Hi, Ryland. Say hi, Gabe. Hi. Now that we know who everybody is, let's get down to the dirty business. The dirty business being, uh, first of all, just uh, I have to ask, there is a song on the new Cobra Starship record called Pleasure Ryland. Is that a nickname or a request? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, yeah, it actually, when we first did it, we just thought it was a nickname, but now we realize that it it could mean oh so many things. Uh, Gabe, what do you think? Um, no, I just think it's the nickname. Because yeah, Rollin ha- has a shirt that he wears all the time. Before before uh, he, he ever got paid his first check from Cobra Starship, he only had one T-shirt that he wore every day, and it said Pleasure Island on it. Yeah. And his oh, name was Rollin, okay. so he started calling him Pleasure Rot, you know? Yeah. So, and, then, uh, and then we just decided to call a song that. Yeah. And then Same. we realized that we have two songs with the word Pleasure in it, and we're just like, ah, oh, maybe we shouldn't have done that, but hey. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, come on. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> just... You're right. Write four songs about cucumbers. Nobody's gonna. That's kind of a little bit difficult to rhyme something like that. Pleasure is a good thing to write about twice. Yeah. The um, I was gonna ask you uh, the um, whole vibe of Viva La Cobra. Was there a certain type of mindset that you had that you wanted to that you wanted to do that maybe you thought the previous record didn't didn't achieve? I think it was more of a technical kind of songwriting thing that we wanted to achieve. We wanted to have it feel like a more cohesive record. Um, you know because kind of the point of Cobra Starship is kind of like a, uh, a mishmash of, of a whole bunch of different influences. And um, on the first record, I think, you know, like the different influences stand out more on their own and you don't necessarily have a, a Cobra Starship sound. And I think on this one, we kind of got a, our own sound, which is sweet. Yeah, and I mean, part of that with, with Scott Reebling, working with him and working with Patrick and everything. And I wouldn't say we were rushed, 
but we had a deadline and because of that we all just we all just really brought it uh brought it to the table and i think that's why it sounds like you said a little more cohesive and i mean so, this was this was a band record you know the first record i did myself and like this record is we did after playing together for almost a year yeah um so when when you go in and you record a record as a band it just shows much more while the city sleeps is basically your Foo Fighters Dave Grohl record. Yeah, exactly. What I have to ask you this. What, what, are your, what are your earliest musical memories of rock and roll? And I'm not talking the Fisher-Price wind-up thing right. in the crib. Uh, musical memory, but I mean your first thing, your first rock and roll memory. Uh, it was being at the bargain bin at a record store when I had recently moved to America, barely speak English, and I was like looking through the bargain bin of like LPs, and there was um, a White Snake record on in the Nice Price. I remember I must have been like five or six years old, and which, I was like, which one, which "Wow, I want this!" Snake? Was it like the self-titled one? The self-titled one, the one with the seal on it. It just had had like a, a a wax seal on it, just said WS, and it was like. And the reason I liked it is because I had a. I had tape recorded here. I go again on my own uh, from the radio, and I was just listening to that when I was like five or six, and I could never get the whole song. You know, I always go just got yeah. pieces because you hear it coming on, you go press record, you know, and you, you could never, intro. yeah, you miss it, you know. Yeah. And then you have some guy talking over it. So then I bought the LP. <laughs> that was that's my first actual musical memory of uh, of music. It's all bad. <laughs> Back to the Future, I think, was from for me my first memory. The the scene at the end where Marty McFly. You know, plays the the Chuck Berry song is like just starts just, wailing and just starts wailing. Yeah, it was just, there's something about it I knew right away, and he was playing it behind his head, and I knew that I wanted to learn how to play as well. And and I remember he had those awesome Nikes, white with the red swoosh. I tried to find him everywhere, couldn't do it. I see endorsement deal where you can get your own custom. Yeah, get I know, custom right? Made yourself, that'd be all right. <laughs> yeah. What do you think? I mean, in this day and age of technology and and, and stuff like that, how do you do you think the uh, the, the situation the whole listening experience for somebody just getting into music right now is significantly different in the day and age of you know net myspace all that stuff do you think a lot of that charm is kind of you know do you think point blank do you think it sucks um i think it's it's really uh, i try not to pass judgment on it you know from from the viewpoint of an artist it's come it's, on take a stand gabe uh, no because it's like the thing is you know as an artist myself you know i i grew up making, uh, you know, listening to whole records. Like, you know, I would find out about Bon Jovi from one song and then I'll get the whole record and find out, wow, these guys, you know, learn a little bit more about them, find out about acid jeans and like feathered hair, you know, all stuff that I probably wouldn't have known about if I didn't get, you know, the whole New Jersey, you know? So um, the, the thing is now kids, they don't really have the, I think the the patience or the tension span to really get into a whole record. People want just the singles, you know? And um, as an artist, that sucks because when you want to make music, you want to make like a whole record. You want to have something from beginning to end that you've sequenced, you've put care into everything. Um, and that really doesn't happen anymore, you know? But, you know, if I'm judgmental about that, I'm like, oh, that sucks. But then if you think about it, you know, the idea of a whole record only started once, you know, 30 to 33 RPMs came out. Because before that, <clears throat> it was all singles anyway, wasn't it? You were around then, Jason, don't you? Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Making fun of Pap Pap, are you? <laughs> you know, no, it's just, I mean, obviously there was the hit single. You know, there was the hit single off the record, and then, but then you had a band like Led Zeppelin who, they didn't release singles. Right. Yeah. And they were like, they're still considered godlike. So, I mean, they were, of course, the exception to the rule. But you know, I noticed that, like, in Europe, you can release a single. In Britain, you can release a single. It stands as its own piece of work. Right. And that's why I got the two bonus tracks on there to kind of like, you know, bump it up because the collector fans got to have everything you do and stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Do you think that 
do you think that uh, because of that kind of, you know, interaction or the lack of it, they're like, oh, I just press these buttons and everything's, you know, instant gratification. Do you think a lot of that, the sense of actually wanting to, wanting to discover something in a, like a roll up your sleeves and thumb through record bins type of way, do you think a lot of that is, you know, the charm of that is completely, you know, gone? Yeah, kind of, more yeah, or less. Kind yeah. of, it's gone. But but I think it it poses new challenges. You know, it's like how do you find a way to be creative in in in, in the in like the modern era in the digital world? You know, like how do you find a way to have that kind of interaction, that kind of personality through the record, through what you're doing, through the content that you're giving your fans? How do you find a way to make it you know all cohesive and all something that's going to be uh, intimate in, in in this very cold digital world we live in. Yeah, it's none of it's tangible. You know what I mean. So what can you give them in terms of media and stuff? That's you know that that's comparable to getting like a really cool Led Zeppelin three LP with the wheel that turns. You know what I'm saying? On the, exactly. And stuff like that. You just can't do that anymore, I guess. Do you think that do you do you are you guys record collectors? I I have a I have a pretty extensive collection. I will, not anymore. No, I don't even have. I just have like you know when I when I got into records, I first started collecting records, but then like I moved around so much, it's like now they're just in a bin in my parents' house. Oh, so you still have them, but they're just like. Gabe, honey, when you picking up the records, I'm tired yeah. of sweeping around them. Yeah. Gabe, the schmott is all over the place. You gotta come get your records. <laughs> 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 but I mean, do you think that, Rylan, do you think there is that type of like the death of the artifact? Like, who cares? I don't know. For me, when I buy, you know, my, my dear boss, Michael P. Shea word up in the house, uh-huh. he says that, uh, you know, he got me a $40 gift certificate for my birthday one year. He got me a $40 gift certificate for iTunes. And to me, you know, that's cool because I have an iPod and I rock that thing when, when I'm, you know, when I'm doing work or I'm on a plane. Of course. But it seems to me that like buying a download to me as a person who collects a lot of records, that's kind of like buying gasoline. I mean, yeah. I really don't know what I show for it. Just again. a mundane sort of like emotionless task. Yeah. You just well, hit a button. It's like and buying gas. It's like, where did it go? You just <laughs> spent, you know, $5 a gallon. There on it is. I think yeah. the real question is, I mean, I, I think record collectors will always endure and the CD will always endure in the same way that the LP has endured, you know, that there'll be the small boutique shops that cater to people who want that experience. But the question is, when everyone had to buy the LP, did everyone have the same experience that you talk about when they buy, when they were buying records, you know, or were they just filling up with gas, but just with the record and just listen to the one song and then put it away and never pick it up again? You know, that's the question. How much, how much of a difference is it making or is it just really drawing the line in the sand clearly? Is that all it's doing? So then you talked about, you know, the actual single, like you only want to hear, you know, I want to hear three songs, maybe like one or three songs. I just paid like 10 bucks for the album, you know, right. back in the day. 998 uh, list price or something. So do you think the kind of culture is kind of bent on the playing field is now like, well, we really can't have eight tracks of filler anymore. And do you think a lot of bands, do you think a lot of bands are actually working that way? It's just like, oh, fuck it. They'll get the two and that's it. You know what I mean? They'll download the two and that's it. Do you think that there's a kind of a lot of, people just can't meet the, you talk about quality control and things like that, but you have to deliver 10 songs to the label by this date and, yeah. you know, here it is. Well, I, I kind of think that's why, like, you know, this, the underground scene always is going to endure and it always has, it's has even though it may not really across over the mainstream, it always has really a healthy, healthy uh, livelihood because I think that bands that come from the scene always put a lot of care into all the songs, you know, and like, and it gives fans a full record's worth of stuff and like it really solidifies the relationship. But, you know, I think that, that the trouble is going to come for pop artists whose whole business model is, is based on, you know, cheating people to pay eighteen ninety eight to hear one song they like. Those people aren't going to pay that anymore. You know, they're going to just download the one song or get it for free. So that, that whole thing is gone, you know, but bands, you know, bands like us, bands that come from the scene, you know, bands that really do put care into making a whole record to giving fans something that they can really enjoy are, are always going to endure. Britney Spears makes $749,000 a month. Does she? 
Yeah. That's sweet. What does your assistant make? Maybe there's an opening. Uh, I, <laughs> I can try to make some phone calls for you, but I'm just like, you know, when I think of like pure pop, you know, when I th- think of like pure disposable, you know, I'm thinking, yeah. you know, ding, you know, but $749,000, that's it's a lot of money. Yeah. Who's buying into that? I just, yeah. you know, that's well, a lot of downloads over 99 cents on iTunes too. I, you know what I mean? I, I don't know kind of, you know, you have that whole thing where you have the, the, you know, one track mentality. That's all I want. Yeah, I think she sold like two hundred fifty thousand the first week. Does that Are come from like? That right? Does that come from sexually frustrated middle aged creepy guys who don't know how to use a? Of course they know how to use a computer. For <laughs> surfing, right? One handed net surfing, right? Yeah, yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, is, yeah. It, is that even a lot for her? You know, it's it's not really right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. See, that's why the whole there's that weird disconnect in the culture how certain things happen and you know it's i feel like bizarre. one of those guys at a desk at a boardroom at a big record label saying well we're expecting that record to sell eighty thousand the first week and then we're like what thirty thousand drop them yeah is there well, a lot of that do you guys i mean have you you know felt the heat um i haven't felt heat on us personally because we kind of like especially you know uh, coming from midtown and like everything the crush is doing and like we kind of just um, have isolated ourselves into this little world that we can just like take care of each other and just like be able to protect each other and like be able to to have something substantial. But I mean, I definitely feel that the labels are getting desperate and just really just clawing and not really knowing where to go and trying to think of, you know, the, they have to change their business model like tomorrow. You know, it's been seven years that they've been giving away free music because they haven't been able to find a way to deal with the new technology of, of the internet. So it's like for seven years, their, their sales have just declined, declined, declined. And now they're at the point where there's like nothing left. So what are they going to do right now? You know, so I felt that kind of heat, you know, but I mean, we're okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we that's the thing. Like a band like us, we may never be humongous. And the question is, you know, we're back in whereas back in the day, a label used to have the power of being like, Okay, you're good, I like what you got, I'm gonna break you, I'm gonna make you bring you to the masses. Labels don't have that power anymore, you know? So it's like, and, and the question is, who does have that power? Because really the only superstars that are now are people that have already come through the gates before this whole thing started happening. How do you break a new artist now? How do you get someone to enter the public consciousness, you know? Like, even like the biggest songs, like Umbrella, like Rihanna, like this, I mean, that's probably the biggest song of the year. There's probably. tons of people around the, around the country who never heard that song once, yeah. you know? And <clears> it's like everyone, because of the internet and how much information there is, like everyone can just live in their own worlds and live happily and like not have to worry about like this whole kind of, the pop culture and stuff like that. And that's where it gets really weird. Tell me about, I want to go back to the early, early thing mm-hmm. again, back to the early music thing and how you guys interface with, I can't believe I said interface with music. Interface. <laughs> Shoot me in the <laughs> face now, quick. You've been on your computer too much, man. <laughs> I do not. Look at that. Look at that. No carpal tunnel there, man. I mean, you were talking about while the, while the, ta- while the hard drive was not rolling, you said that you were like full on nine years old, Bon Jovi slippery when wet. You were all about that. Um, yeah, and I remember I was living in New York at the time, and it was Bon Jovi, New Jersey, and I was just like, wow, this is so cool. New Jersey must be awesome, you know? Feather hair, nice wash jeans. And then the next year, I ended up moving <laughs> oh, to New Jersey. Oh, that was the record after Slippery Went Wet. Yeah, it was, New Jersey was when I got into them. And you gotcha. Slippery Went I was a little too young for you know? And uh, and and when New Jersey came out, I was like, well, bad medicine, you know, like, I got I got to move. I got to move to Jersey. And then my parents ended up moving to Jersey the next year. I was so psyched about it. But it was like, you know, that experience for me with music was, it was very, like, it was very temporary. It was like a that, you know, that I got into Bon Jovi was cool at the time. I'm like, wow, this is cool. And then like, I kind of put it away and never picked it up. And then a couple of years after that, Nirvana came out and that just changed the whole playing field. It changed everything. You know? uh, I think you and I have talked about that before. About, about I mean, it's a complete, cult. that whole Nirvana thing was a cultural zeitgeist. I remember that, you know, I remember some guy in a very big band telling me that uh, when Nirvana hit and all that stuff, all the poodle metal that was on happening in the, uh, in, you know, in, in LA on the strip, that stuff was 
gone overnight. Yeah, Ghost town. Everybody instantly, was, you yeah. know, doing the whole, you know, big hair, you know, stop using cream rinse, tune to drop D and everybody was a grunge <laughs> band or, or even some, even like there were some half wits like uh, Stephen Piercy from rat decided he was going to be in an industrial band yeah. and had some guy who was really good at, you know, a wheezing Atari computer and, you know, programmer or something like that. So <laughs> what are your, I mean, essentially in those age, like, you know, 10, 11, 12, what do you, what do you, is there a record or are there songs from back in that time that you still say, hell yeah. And if you hear it or if you load it on your iPod, you're just like, it's still just as fresh and exciting to you as it ever was. I mean, I think Nevermind is definitely that that record. You know, I mean, you, you I can put that on any time, and that's yeah. just an amazing record from beginning to end. The production, uh, you know, it's slick, but it's it's not overproduced. It's just and then the, and the, on the that same tack, like like uh, Weezer. We lately, for some reason, we just all just reminisce on Weezer and we listen to the, you know the Blue Album. <laughs> I do, I do. That's that. That's an. I mean, I like the songs, but the thing is, Weezer just didn't have the cultural impact that Nirvana had. You know, it was like it was a really fun, cool like thing to be into. But I, I, I remember when Weezer came out, I hated them. You know, so and I was fourteen, I was already too cool for Weezer. You know, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I already knew that they were ripping off the Pixies. I'm like, yo, this sounds exactly like the Pixies. Fuck this band. But it was, it was actually just, Kurt Cobain who admitted that he'd ripped everything off of the Pixies. Yeah, but the thing about mm. Kurt Cobain is that he was he he thinks he's he's talks about ripping off the. Uh, the you know the Beach Boys and stuff also, but like he, and the Beatles, and he thinks he's ripping them off, but he's doing his own whacked out interpretation of it, and that's yeah. not ripping off, and that, that's why he was a genius because he's so like re retarded in the way he th he was thinking about music, like musically, like the song structures and and his chord progressions were just insane, you know. Although I think that you know when I was younger, I was like, wow, this is real revolution. Now that I'm older and I, I, yeah. I, I read all the all the stuff that he was writing, I realize it was just all bullshit, like the rest of it, you know. But the songs are still great. And that's, What's your that's favorite the, song off of Nevermind? In Bloom, I think. Very nice. What's your favorite song off of the Blue Album? Um, probably Holiday. And we're going to hear some music in a bit.
wait a second. So you're like, you were dissing on Weezer. Yeah. It's interesting you were dissing on Weezer because Pinkerton, which their second record, which, mm-hmm. you know, didn't sell. I mean, here I am wearing my, wearing my three-piece suit, record company guy. That record didn't really sell. It was considered a failure by everybody. But that record galvanized a complete whole, you know, for lack of a better word, emo scene. Well, you and know, it also, it also, I agree with it this. was the major record label that was cool to like, because eh, major label suck, it was the, that time frame, That's and that weird. was the record, practically every band who was used, who had the E word described to them, say that, you know, oh, Pinkerton, my God, it's like Sgt. Pepper. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't into Pinkerton when it came out, and again, I wasn't the biggest Weezer fan, so, um, you know, I think when Pinkerton came out, I think the Promise Ring were already out by that time, you know, um, so... I was definitely more into like the Chicago, like the real early emo stuff that was going on there. But um, but it, it is a great record. I think that what Pinkerton did more than anything is that it made Weezer a credible band, whereas before it was kind of like, oh, check it out, we're like nerdy guys wearing sweaters, you know? Then it was like, oh, wow, they're actually really good musicians too. But it's like we were talking about this yesterday. It's like it was a major label construct that like but you felt like they were your band you know what i mean you felt like you felt like they were just regular guys like indie guys you know and i think that they paved the way for a lot of other bands after the fact yeah but i I think they were they were cooked when pinkerton came out they were totally cooked after that you know it's like they were like the fact that pinkerton failed so badly just showed that match our weezer well it just showed that weezer was was just a really like a pop thing that was a one-hit wonder thing and it was after the blue album like you know their true fans whatever true fans they had weren't going with them to pinkerton because it's like people didn't really buy that afterwards. People started discovering that later on, and we're like, "Wow, this is actually a really good record." I mean, I, I know that's what my experience was. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm. Because that's interesting, just the way. Because we did that. We did a cover story when Pinkerton came out. We did the cover story, and really, and our writer, and our writer <clears throat> went out with them. And uh, what year was that? Do you know? It was right when Pinkerton came out. Our writer went to Australia with them, yeah. and and it was like whole like Matt Sharp saying. If I'm going to be only going to be in a video for 20 seconds, I'm wearing a bunny suit so people know, you know, who I am. Yeah. Because it was turning into this, the, you know, the 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 mysterious Rivers show. Right. And I don't want to elaborate on that because the stories are legendary and all, and all that. But it, it's kind of weird that you know the band that was once considered the oh that's a stupid radio rock band they got one you know they might as well be what Deep Blue something Sixpence yeah. None the Rich or yeah, something yeah, yeah, you know yeah, some yeah. sort of dishwall thing like that yeah. it, it dishwall <laughs> it, it just but they turned into this iconic thing and who's to you know how did they, you know I don't know I don't I think you're like dissing on Weezer a little too hard considering the the historical context of it and Rylan's gonna gonna help me fight you yeah you no no I, I'm I, can, I agree with what you're saying but I, I think that's what Pinkerton did is it said it said it did so uh, like really make them an iconic band because before that I don't think they would have survived you know just by on Blue Album alone you know Blue Album was great but the Blue Album by itself wouldn't have made people champion that band the fact that they became underdogs afterwards made people excited about them could be wrong, but what do I know? Okay. I mean, that's how I feel about them. That's my personal experience. All right. Life. See, I would argue that I would argue like the, the you know, like the, the, the sorority girl, like, yeah, buddy, Holly, that's so cute. She didn't, I mean, you know, she couldn't rock out to anything on Pinkerton. No, but, you know, exactly. some kid with bad skin living in Crib Death, Iowa was like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, this is amazing. Right. But that's my point. He's got the a kid, girlfriend in Japan. <laughs> if the kid with bad skin isn't listening to, we- to Weezer when Pinkerton comes out because the sorority girl's still jamming it at her, at her parties, you know? So it took a while. The sorority girl really had to get out of it first before the kid with bad skin was being like, oh, this is my band. Mm. Mm. Uh, uh. <laughs> no? Rylan, you're the tiebreaker. What do you think? <laughs> I'm in a band with this guy. I'm not going to disagree with him. What the hell, man? I'm not going to get paid. Exactly. He signs my checks. Please. Please let me off the hook. Let's. Okay. How about this? 
Cobra Starship, best new band in 1984. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, just like I don't you see the cover of the record. Just everything is just so. I mean, you know, electrostatic and it's funky and it's groovy and it's party music and it's insane and riotous and and you were like rocking Bon Jovi when, you know, when I was eight, when you were eight, when you were eight or nine. And like, by that so, time, let me see, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say you missed Rockwell. Somebody, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Tony Basil, Stacy Q. No way, uh, dude. No, I love Stacey this stuff. But that's what you don't understand. I was living in Queens, so I would go to the roller skate rink and hear all that stuff. Oh, that's right. And because, you know, roller skate, yeah. Cause yeah. Like, I, I didn't even, before I knew it was called freestyle music, I used to call it roller skate rink music because that's all the stuff I learned. Skate, yeah. and, and actually, and that's really what I said when I started so Cobra Starship. I said, I want to make a band that I play like the, the stuff that I would hear in the roller skate rink when I was eight, you know? So it's like, you know, it's like, it, uh, for me, I'm, I, I was kind of like a weird kid because I was born in South America, but I'm Jewish too. So like I grew up, I came, as soon as I came to America, I went to like a Jewish school because they let me go there for free because I was like a poor immigrant kid. And then, uh, and so I was around only white kids, you know? So I was the only Hispanic kid around white kids, but I was living like in a Hispanic neighborhood. So all, all the music out here in the streets and the roller skate rink was all that stuff. But then I got into rock because I was a white kid, you know? So it was a very weird uh, ethnic thing happening in Queens. Yeah. <laughs> Skips. Yeah, I, I mean, that kind of reflects the whole cross-cultural thing, because even back then you've got like, you've got bands like New Order who are like doing these, doing those mixes with, you know, Arthur Baker at the time, who was the, the king of all that, you know, that electro, that electro stuff on Streetwise, that Streetwise label. And it was kind of like that weird cross-pollinization, but I don't, it's kind of weird because I couldn't figure out how you could make, you know, in your situation, how you could, well, I guess it was a different part of your psyche that was rock and bunch every one end and, and rock and roller skate, roller skate. <laughs> Yeah, roller skate. Roll, can I call it roller core? Uh, I, I don't know. Post roller. I like that. Post roller. There you go. <laughs> we had to get we had to get core in there somewhere. Yeah. That type of thing. So I, you, you, I mean, I'm just kind of like, why didn't you just get like Jan Hammer to come in and remix like a bunch of tracks off the new record? Why don't you know what I mean? Um, if people knew who he was, that'd be awesome. Come on, <laughs> my, what? Who's that guy? Who's that? Who's the Lothario that was in the Miami Vice? Not Jamie Foxx. The guy, Colin, Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell. Yeah. Yeah. Colin Farrell, the guy who plays Sonny Crockett in the in the Miami Vice remake. Mm-hmm. Made a nice video, you know, that kind of. I, I mean, I, I love that sort of thing. I think it's good, but it's a way. Like, I don't want it to be too. Um, kitschy in that way that it's like that it's like completely just like trying to be exactly 80s i want to take those influences and make them modernize yeah exactly personalize them i think we do a kick-ass job with that run black and hey Hey, look at that yeah sharing the love here the love room recording studio do you think that there's but obviously to this culture like to a generation that's like rocking cobra starship right now that they all those references that i was dropping that don't mean anything they're probably just scanning back a thing like what should i google what should i type into google here what stacy q yeah no no yeah yeah i mean like stevie b and stacy q and freestyle music and all that stuff but i mean i think that it, it this is a good time for that stuff to be kind of brought back and have it be modernized because i mean even though we didn't necessarily we weren't hardcore fans of it when we were kids like we still we still all remember that stuff you know what i mean and like we were just watching. What was that movie that was on? The Run DMC Wild movie. Style? No, oh, no, no, yeah, uh, but yeah, but like all that stuff, like um, Street Wars, and like all these movies are coming back. Crush, like, Crush Groove, Crush Groove. Yeah, well, she she leads in that. Yeah, no, but Wild Style was it was the best one, dude. That was awesome. Yeah, um, Crush Groove, Crush Groove. That's that's got the Beastie Boys. She's on it. Yeah, doesn't it? It has it has all the all the early Def Jam stuff. It was a Def, Def Jam Def movie, Jam wasn't movie, it? Yeah. The first Def Jam movie. But um, <clears throat> I mean that's that's a thing. Like like. Like kids aren't really gonna go in and find and discover all that stuff, you know, and look up all the old freestyle stuff. But people that are into that like Cobra Starship, you know, and that's what's that's what's cool. It's like it's like I wanted to make something that was just like 
not only be, you know, because the great thing about being from the scene is that there's just like kids go to shows. That's the culture, you know, but like kids that go and hear the stuff in the roller skate rink, they're not going to go see bands play live. That's just not part of the culture. You know, they just don't do that. So, um, so it's, it's about like bringing this kind of stuff like to white kids in the suburbs, you know? Because <laughs> I don't think you're trying to steal any of Chromio's money. I don't think, you know. Well, they're making Chromio, I, th- I mean, Chromio is one of our favorite bands. Totally. I think for the first record, I actually sat down with Dave and we tried to work on a song and it didn't exactly work out. But, but, uh, but, but I mean, in some ways, I think that we're like a more toned down version of Chromio, like a more mainstream version of Chromio um, for... Toned down? For you. Like Chromio is just like, Chromio is like, like that's, that's exactly the thing. Chromio like, like has the exact same sounds from the eighties, yeah. the exact same style. Like they could be like very well be from the eighties. We can't, you know, like our stuff is more modern. There's, there's, I mean, we also like mix in like some, some punk rock influences in there too, you know? So it's like, so Chromio is just straight up like that. You they, hear they it and you think, Prince if you don't know, time, you think you know? it's from the eighties, you know what yeah. I mean? Like from, from my perspective, I thought they were from the eighties. So and that's why kids young, I think younger kids don't get Chromio for that reason. You know, for, for older kids, it's like, wow, they like the throwback. They like the novelty of it, you yeah. know? And I think that that's part of why they're into it. Do you um that whole that whole generate that whole generational thing? You, you were saying that Chromio seems more because I don't know. I'm just hearing the same type th- those elements that, that that they do along with Cobra Starship. It just seems like it's all party good time pop songs. That oh have, man! You know, if you say if you say we're in the same place as Chromio, I take it as a compliment. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. You know, I, I would be psyched if you said if you said that. I I, I think that we're not as good. You know, so <laughs> I, I think you know I think we're yeah. more of a of of like, I don't want to say watered down. I was going to say, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> like a little bit, with a little more vanilla in it. You know what I'm saying? Like a little more. Yeah. A little more frosting. A little more frosting. Are, are there any, are there any things that, I, I, I mean, personally, I, I'm sure you guys like to rock the Daft Punk. Oh my God, yeah. Are you guys, are you guys rocking the Justice album? Yeah, yeah, yeah. we like Justice, Justice a lot. All that of stuff. Of course. All I love the, all the Ed Banger Ed stuff. Ed Banger records like Favorite label right now. All of that. Um, and Ratatat is like probably the, the band we listen to every day. Every like, day. Again, I, I, like also we water down Ratatat. Yeah, a little you know? bit. Like yeah. we directly, we take some straight up elements Cues, from Ratatat yeah. like and put them on our record, you know, but you don't hear it because then there's vocals on top of it. Do you, but, so we're cool, right? <laughs> I mean, do you, do, 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 do. <laughs> do you guys, do you, are you guys more, are, are, essentially are you guys more, uh, I'm not gonna in tune, in tuned, influenced, uh, absorbed with you know current trends in electronic dance music than anything rock and roll per se. I, I would def- definitely for me, I would say I, you know I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought so, but yeah, I definitely know more about modern dance music than I do know about modern rock. No like yeah, when we go it. when we play the festivals in Europe, uh, I mean I, I spent the whole time in the dance tents, you know, I saw yeah, Master totally. Crafts, Uffy, uh, Shit, you know, just yeah, just like that's I, I definitely like that much more. Oh, like CSS, which CSS. is really fun. That's one of our favorite bands. Uh, Can't say this, are sexy, yeah, and they are actually Cobra Starship. So anytime yeah. anytime they get props, CSS, we, some we people, think it's us. yeah. Yeah. But, uh, CSS wrote that song called "Let's Make Love and Listen, listen to Death Metal from 1979." Yeah. Oh, yeah. They should, you know, what, what's what's the Cobra Starship uh, equivalent to that? Jeez, let's listen to CS. Let's listen. <laughs> let's, yeah, um, let's listen to CSS and <laughs> yeah, and uh, and hug, and hug, <laughs> and hug it out. My, <laughs> how emo! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what's what's your what's your favorite uh, what's, what's your favorite tracks from this whole? I mean, what are the whole new electronic things that you really like? What do you, what do you, what do you completely bump into on your iPods? I, I mean, really love Uffy. I listen to Uffy a lot. I like, uh, I like Lo-Fi Funk. They're a Swedish, uh, a dance band from Sweden, uh, that I saw open for Architecture in Helsinki. They're great. Um, Tahiti 80. Um, yeah, a lot of Daft Punk. Um, 
It's interesting too because you know, like you see all these kind of bands. Like that's definitely there's a certain scene for that that whole thing, you know. And it has and and the things are just not a lot of cross crossover. There's a lot of kids that came from like the emo punk rock scene and are there now, but they don't come back and go to shows anymore. Yeah. I know those kids; they're all my friends, you know. Yeah. And they don't go they to shows at, at the all club anymore. They won't. They, they won't go. They won't go see bands play at all anymore. They just go stuff like that. And we have a lot of other friends that that have come from our scene and are trying to do like the electronic stuff also. Mm. Like and they're really good too. Like men, women, and children are amazing band. Like young love. Is it, is it, he doesn't like him. He's making that face. No, on the contrary. I have a list of my question here. I said, there's a fight out in the AP parking lot. Who should I place my money on? Cobra Starship or Men, Women, and Children? Oh, well, that's, you see, that's the thing. It's like, I think Men, Women, and Children are an amazing band. I think they're better uh, than us, you know? Yeah. So, so, and it's like, but the thing is, it's like, part of the thing is that like, you know, we want to, we want to be able to play in the scene to these kids. And we know that if you take too much of a big step, they're just not going to get it. I saw, I saw it happen with men and women and children. Like I was like, wow, the sons are awesome. But, and they would play these shows and their shows were great. They're so energetic, but kids just didn't, didn't compete with kids because the music didn't have, it was just completely different. It didn't have any influences from what their former bands were, you know? So I think for me that even though a lot of kids are like, oh, how can you go from Midtown to this? There's a logical progression there, you know? And I consciously make an effort to put, uh, like the influences <laughs> that I grew up with and what, what Midtown was about in there as well. So, you know, it's, it's, if you take too much of a big step, you're in, you're in no man's land because you know what, like you're not going to be playing with, with, with Daft Punk. I'll tell you that much, you know, like, like you just because of where you come from. If you, if you're talking about, Hey, I'm ex class or whatever, you're going to have a hard time breaking into the yeah. other scene, into the really cooler scene. And the cooler scene it really isn't that much cooler because you don't play shows as often. You don't tour as often, you know, it's like, People aren't as supportive. They go there to party and have a good time, but it's not like a scene. It doesn't feel like a scene. It feels like, you know, the party scene. Which Part is of what a nightlife scene. Yeah. yeah, it's a nightlife scene. Yeah, it's more of just nightlife and nightlife yeah. and nothing to do with any type of culture that came out of you know. I mean, you know, like what's cool is it setting up so, playing playing gigs in like you know basements, like, you know basements and fire halls and, yeah. and all that stuff. I mean, maybe. I mean, it's cool because a lot of those kids came from that scene where they used to set up shows and play in basements and stuff, but they just don't do it anymore. You know, they're just they're over it and they're not going back. You know, and then in a couple of years they're going to listen to jazz and have be having babies. So it's cool. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, it happens to everyone. I see it. I've seen the evolution. You know, and like. Like, I remember being younger and seeing, like, the kids grow up when I was younger and being like, wow, fucking sellouts, you know? And then I see my friends do it. I'm like, wow, these are my friends. Where are they going? <laughs> you know? So. Favorite Daft Punk song? Around the world. Um, hum- uh, maybe, I like Night Vision on, uh, on uh, Discovery. Night, Night Vision on, on Discovery. That's the one that sounds like 10 cc's I'm not in love. Yeah, or, or like some Brian Eno jam from, like, Another Green... Uh, the green world or something i love it indeed we're going to get down with our electrostatic selves with daft punk we'll be back in a second Thank you. 
Daft Punk. I did, you know, I was I had a problem. The one year one year in Alternative Press we had the Ten Essential column in the back uh-huh. of the magazine, and one time I uh, <clears throat> had a list of records of ten records you don't want to get. 
and one of them was Daft Punk Live. And I'm oh, like, Daft Punk, Li- Daft Punk Live is amazing, but don't you feel stupid buying a live CD of a band whose whole thing is done on DAT and sequencers? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? If you can't, no like? DVD, it's just that a lot that, you know, and <laughs> no it's got DVD? a road case on it, Daft Punk stenciled on I'm like, come on. Well, maybe. It's interesting. You, I, never, I never even heard of that. I thought it was a DVD. A li- yeah, a live, live 2007, Daft yeah. Punk, right? No, no, that's not 2000. No, this this <clears throat> record oh, this came older. out. This, this record was a stopgap thing but between uh, Discovery uh, and the next thing. I so see. Just to keep their name out. Did you listen? Yeah. Do they do like a lot of remixes of the songs or something? No, I don't think no. It's just like they, they thread them out a little bit. They just kind of like, you know, hit yeah. that, you know, extend that loop one more time. <laughs> stuff like that. So, yeah. so men, women, and children can kick Cobra Starship's ass in the AP parking lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, they might be able to kick our asses. But... There's more of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. there's more. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got They've yeah, broken our guitars already. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. When we went to tour with them and they got, into, they got all their stuff still and then we lent them our stuff and they broke all our stuff. Thanks, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they have a problem. They're always getting their stuff ripped. Up. I don't know. Yeah. It seems like there's some sort of, I don't know. Sweet dudes. I don't know. I, yeah, I really like them a bunch. They're really kind of, um, but like you whole, it's that whole disconnect. You brought up the fact that disconnect that, Todd, Todd Weinstock, the guitar player from Men, Women, and Children, was in Glassjaw, yeah. and I can't see many guys with really angry faces, floor punching, going, yeah. you know, standing there, like, growling at people at a Men, Women, and Children gig. And likewise, when, you know, you're known for Midtown, and Midtown was, although Midtown wasn't turning into an electronic band by their last record, they had developed into something different than as they started, because that's what, that's what you're supposed to do as an artist and as a musician. Yeah. When you released While the City Sleeps, We Rule the Streets, was there any type of like, well, Gabe used to be cool, but now he does this stupid dance music. You know what I mean? Was there totally. any type of backlash because the stuff was so disconnected? Oh, yeah, totally. Tons. I mean, still to this day there is. Yeah. You know, it's like the thing is people have a certain um, idea of, of who I was with Midtown. And like, you know, th- th- I think that's also the problem with like the way people consume entertainment is that everything needs needs to be put into a package for them. It's like, this is the band they're going to listen to when they're serious. This is the band they're going to listen to when they have fun. This is that. And you can't be a band that has a lot of those those things things. for them, you know? And I think that's part of the reason because people just don't have the attention span for that. They don't, they can't go in and dig deep into someone. And obviously with every person, there's more than one side. There's, 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 you know, various different personas underneath the the iceberg of the tip of the iceberg of who you see of them, you know? So it's like, it's like, you know, how does, uh, you know, uh, um, David Johansson from New York Dolls go and become Buster Point Dexter, you know? Yeah. So it's like... Feeling hot, hot, hot. What? Yeah, yeah. How'd you do that? <laughs> Wear your heels. I, I was just you, a start, compl- you started punk rock. What are you doing? Hot, you're just, hot, hot. You're just wearing makeup. Come on, stop! Yeah, I mean, that's a good that's a good thing, but that's like the whole alter ego thing. I mean, and then he went back to make it, but now what is he now? He's like he's like now the rugged, whiskey-soaked troubadour now yeah. or something. <clears throat> I've seen him in Union Square walking around. What? Just like busking for change. No, just wearing all his gear, like totally just hanging out. Oh yeah, I got you know I got to say the New York Dolls reunion. I mean, he did have a flat stomach. Yeah, yeah. he looked pretty good. As opposed to some of those guys without a shirt on. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, but dude, his face looks like a relief map of the Grand Canyon. Yeah. <laughs> it's just some things you just can't. I mean, there's some things you just can't rock. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. I may have like the trendy you know product in the hair, but. With this gut, I'm not going to wear leather pants. You know what I mean? And I'm just, but that, see, this is the big thing about being something that you're really, that you're really not. I mean, there's no, I am not questioning anything that you guys are totally into, you know, the electronics. So because obviously, you know, you're, you're definitely, you participate in the culture, your records sound this way, you're aware of it with the same type of fervor that, you know, anybody who wants to collect every hardcore seven inch from the band in their, in their hometown or something like that. So I'm kind of wondering when, you know, you've got that disconnect. People are just thinking, oh, Gabe's just trying to make money. 
Gabe's just trying to do something that, you know, it's going to, you know, whatever, make him popular, that type of thing. I mean, that's got to hurt because, you know, you, you like these songs, you want to participate in this culture, that type of like. No, I don't. White dismiss. No, I don't not, give a fuck no, about I'm talking about. Culture. I'm talking about what you're doing, that culture, as opposed to where, you know, you were from. What you, this is not a trendy thing. You're still going to be listening to electronic music, electronic dance music four years from now. I yes don't know no. about that. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to be doing four years from now, you know? So, but it's like, the thing is, it's something that, that I got into with my friends, honestly, you know, like, and all our friends, that's where, we're, where we go. We go to like small clubs and that's what they play, you know? Yeah. So I'm basically, and, and my thing is, but I'm still like, I come from Midtown. I spent my whole life being a part of this scene, which is like a very young scene. It's a very kind of like, it's like the, the salvation for kids from the suburbs it was my salvation from being from the suburbs, you know? And it's like, and, and I got into music because, you know, kids from the city were doing stuff and, and it influenced me. And like, that's really kind of the way it goes. It's like that you go from the cultural epicenters and you bring it down into like regular places, you know? So, I mean, I, I kind of, I don't really want to like, I didn't do this band to get approval from my peers in New York or to like get approval from like people in Europe. Be like, oh, cool. I really like this music that you're doing, you know, uh, come, come, come play at our club. You know, I don't, I don't give a fuck about that. Yeah. We're not going to be a part of that. Our you friends know? are like, who are you now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. So it's, what's actually weird is that, is that, is that we never got any love in New York until we started getting really kind of big with Cobra Starship. Like, and then still like little kids start liking us. And yeah. now that we're like, now that like, now that like we're kind of big um in new york now that they would just get respect for being big but not because people like our music it's yeah weird. It's, biz- it's this bizarre <laughs> you're famous for being famous or yeah or it's uh, you're famous like, for being no, famous it's, it's just it's just it's just weird that, like what like every 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 subculture no matter how how cool they try to be they're all just dick writers you know all, you know so every every scene is, is like that you know and we don't really give a fuck about 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 what what we think about that like my thing is like i just want to to the kids in the scene kids that go to shows like they're not the majority of them just want to go and they have nothing else to do where they live, you know, and it's like exciting for them to go to show. And to those kids, seeing a band that's a little bit different is awesome for them, you know? And like for us, we're different that we're not too different that when those kids aren't going to understand us, but we're different enough that for them it's something new. And those kids are the only ones I care about. I don't give a fuck about like, you know, the 26-year-old kid like living in his mom's basement, like talking shit on AP all day long who doesn't even go to shows anymore. And I don't give a fuck about the, the hipster kids in New York who are like, you know, trying to get into the stuff that's that they're too cool for school and like yeah. trying to get into the cool stuff that nobody knows about. Like my only thing is I want to bring like something cool for like the kids who are like are 14 and 15 and just getting into music and like trying to figure out who they are. And if we can help that in any way, that's sweet. You know, you just want kind of want to just make things fun again. Yeah. More or less. I mean, I just feel like with the, the place where the scene was going, like it just like, you know, especially I've, I've been in the scene for like 10 years now, you know? And like, I kind of, I used to, I remember reading like the first scene that I would read, read about was like the early DC scene, you know? And I remember reading about how it went from like being like a hardcore punk rock scene, a bunch of young kids into like this metal thing and like fucking Brian, what's his name? Joining Junkyard Dog. And I'm like, oh, oh shit. Junk, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, how the fuck Brian did, Baker joined. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, how the fuck did like all these like straight up like hardcore punk dudes like go into like this metal thing? It's like really corny, you know? And like, that's kind of what's happening with, with the whole like emo scene. It just went from like the emo, like where, and, like where it like became this mesh of like punk and hardcore into like just metal and like dudes like wearing makeup and like, and like long hair and like, like playing like these really shitty metal guitars. And like, I was never really into metal like that, you know? And like, I thought that was like a corny, a corny thing in the scene. So it's like, so it's like my thing, I guess is like kind of going exactly the opposite of that. Is that a react? Is it a reaction? I think so. I mean, you know, personally, I just I just saw where the scene was going. Like, and then with Midtown, like Midtown was like straight up. We want to do like rock, like like straight up like 
punk rock, like like kind of just like heavy rock without the pretensions of metal. And it seemed like when we put out that record, forget what you know, like people like it's like we weren't wearing the makeup, we weren't like screaming, you know, like and that was really popular then when that came out. So like no one got forget what you know when it came out. Now people love that record, you know. I think part of the reason why they love it is because you broke up after that record came out too. So it's like it just kind of just, just leave it. So it kind of like mystifies a little bit, you know. But it's like I think if we would have stayed together, it wouldn't be wouldn't be as popular as people talk about it now. But um. Fuck, dude. Yeah, I, t- I totally saw that that the scene was going to that place, and I just th- thought it was I just wasn't backing it. So I was like, "Fuck this shit." And a lot of my friends too. We they, they just got out of the scene, and that's it. But it's like, you know, me. I was just like, uh, I'll 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 try and do something a little different. So it was a case of you had to do something musically, or else you're just like, "Hell with this. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go make topiary statues." I'm gonna go get a job in American Apparel. Yeah. yeah. We don't want to be credible. We want to be incredible. <laughs> That's what it is. Very nice. The we're bumping of the knuckles that. here at the Lava Room Recording <laughs> Studio. Uh, we need a knuckle mic. The, um, I have to, I, you know, there's something kind of here that I, I wanted to get across here. Cobra is part of the fairly popular uh, decadence fueled by ramen cabal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. mafia, syndicate, brain trust, uh, culture producers. Uh, was there a point where you felt that maybe Cobra was kind of like the middle, the middle child who wasn't getting enough nurturing or praise like the older, younger siblings, you know, cause you got, you got your fallout boy, you got your, you know, you got your disco panic and all that stuff. And I'm just kind of wondering if you think that maybe the first record probably would have, you know, your Foo Fighters, your Foo Fighters experiment probably would have got lost in the shuffle in some aspects. No, I think, you know, um, I, I never really thought about that. Like, I, I think that we always knew that, that with the cadence, it's all about, you know, like everyone just gets taken care of, you know, like, and everyone just gets each other's backs. And there's not, <laughs> what's good about the cadence is that there's not really bands vying for the exact same spot. You know, every band is, you know, it's all in the same scene, but every band is just a little bit different enough, different enough, you know? Um, so, you know, and for us, we're not, it wasn't really so much that a concern of ours that, like, I think our biggest concern was like, how do we go from like, you know, from snakes on a plane to like trying to be a, a real band, you know, and, and what does that mean? On a plane to anything. Yeah. And what does that mean? Well, to, yeah, that's, and, you know. and what does that mean to be a real band? Like, you know, I, I don't want to be respected as an artist and be like, Oh, you got to take me seriously. I, I'm not trying to say that at all. I just mean, I want to be a real band that I want to go on tour and have kids come to shows like what bands do, you know? Do so how do you do that? Just fucking go and go on tour. And that's what we did. We just went on tour for a year. We put out, you know, six on plane came out as a huge thing, you know, and we could, and, and, you know, some other labels were trying to like just capitalize on that and take another big swing with that. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to put on a record a little more quietly and just build it up from the ground up and just like go on tour that any other band does. The only thing I have is I have, I have a little bit of uh, my foot in the door with, with Snakes on a Plane. You know, people just have, just have the, the name Cobra Starship ingrained in their heads a little bit. So maybe if they hear something, they'll, they'll be more willing to check it out, you know? So we did that and we toured for a year and we got a real fan base and it's like, now it's like we're just a real band, you know. Not that hey, we're artists, we know, but like <laughs> we just have we're a band. We put out records and we have fans, and that's awesome because that's that's uh, that's much harder than it sounds, you know, especially in this day and age. Well, yeah, that's the other consideration, I guess. What do people? What as fans? I mean, some of you do like the rock and roll still, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and I think our fans, for the majority, are rock fans, or or because and the thing that's interesting about our band too is when you come see us, like. Where it's almost like a rock interpretation of our record, you know. We used to say that, yeah. We used to say that when we were on the for the first record, it was like we were a cover band that was like a rock cover band of Cobra Starship. That's what yeah. it felt like sometimes, in a good way, though. Like a like a rock cover band of Cobra Starship. <laughs> yeah. So the like, live thing was, yeah. Obviously, the live thing was completely different than yeah than, than the uh, the studio thing. So I have to ask, uh, 
that 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 relatively unknown guy, Patrick Stump, mm-hmm. that new guy, Patrick. Oh, that's the guy that kept bothering us to. to work oh with yeah, he record. wanted to sing on the record. <laughs> to, yeah, I know, but I guess apparently he paid somebody and got a got a producer's credit. On it. Yeah. <laughs> what what uh, what did he bring to the table? What does he? Because it seems like you've got a vision. What didn't he bring to the table? (laughs) Seriously, that guy just came in like guns blazing creatively. I mean, he brought. I mean, he he's just one of the most like succinct people. You like the way he speaks and the way that he does everything. I mean, it's just bam, bam, bam. Being in the studio with him was was insane. He's a baby genius. Yeah, I think the thing is, you know, with Patrick, um, we had been talking about he wanted to work with me on the first record, just never materialized. We didn't have the time. And so we just found the time to do it because we were on tour together and we weren't even planning on doing a record so quickly, but we just did nothing else but write songs on that, on that tour. And like, we just do like, it was, it was really fun. It was like a, a little like, like art project. Like we would like sit down, like and break off into teams and be like, yeah. you know, Suarez <laughs> and Ryland on, on one, on one bus and me and, and me and Patrick on another bus. And we would just do hard drive swaps, just like sit and mess around the computer, records on the computer be like, okay, here's my hard drive. Here's your hard drive. This is what I worked on here. Go to this file. And we would just open it up and be like, Oh cool. Let's do this. Let's do that. Yeah. You know? So it's, it's really just an interesting, much, much more interesting way than what I was used to in terms of writing songs and, and recording. Like, you know, before with, especially with, I think with most rock bands with Midtown, like I would write a song on guitar, show it to the band, play it. Once we all play together then it becomes a song then once it's done we get we're ready to record with this it's like we don't we like there's we still haven't played the majority of the songs on the record because yeah. we sit down and we write on the computer and we record as we write you know so it's like we're, we're putting a lot of the elements into the computer and most of the stuff that we did on tour ended up on the record yeah you know we recorded the guitars everything. to get better sounds but all the programming and stuff that's all stuff that we did in the back of the bus on tour we joke we say we wrote the record by accident because that's kind of how it, it was kind of like at the end of the tour it was like whoops the Daisy, we have these 15 demos. Hey, 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 record label, you know, like, yes, you know, what <laughs> impossible? It just yeah, kind of happened. The, but what's the what's the thing where, like, a producer, a friend of mine was producing records, and the big thing is like, well, let's play the finished one against the demo and see how it sounds. Yeah, that's yeah. like, you know, I mean, yeah, if you're listening to this, that's the and if you're listening to this and you're working with a producer, that is the first cardinal sin. Don't ever do that A B thing against the demo because it's yeah. considered completely bad form, and you'll probably get punched. Probably will. So did but was Patrick? I mean, Patrick's he's got kind of a pop sensibility, you know. And uh, was he saying things like, "Yes, oh my God, no"? What the hell were you thinking? Was he was he very much that that type of iron fist? Like, no, dude, you got it all wrong. Was he ready to tell you if he thought you sucked? Yeah, yeah. He or was, was everything was everything like copacetic? Was it like a no, Vulcan mind meld or something? In a constru- in the most constructive way conceivable. That's how. But that's how we had to be. We had twenty whatever days. It was just yeah. Like, we, that we, sucks. We, we don't we don't we don't like we don't like tiptoe around each other. No. Walk on eggshells or like, yeah. hey man, that was really good, really yeah. great. But you know, it was like, yo, that yeah. fucking sucks, fucker. You know, Listen, like, um, like we're, you, we're pretty brutal with each other, you know? While you ate lunch, I did the bass line. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> like, come on. Yeah, I mean, we're just like, all right, we're, we're all like working towards the same goal and whatever yeah. we got to do to get it done, we're getting there, you yeah. know? Yeah. Cobra Star. Cobra, Cobra Starship, getting it done since 2006. Yeah. 1984. <laughs> 2006 via 1984. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah. So like, hey, Midtown. Yeah, what about it? Midtown. Ty- Tyler Rand's, you know, getting, you know, getting his classic rock Jones on. Yes, he is. Rob Hit, you're on the phone with every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and um, and uh, Heath is out, you know, backing up Shooter McGavin in Census Fail. <laughs> and uh, yes, okay, go Google Shooter McGavin and just anyway. Uh, are you guys are you guys still friendly with each other? Totally. I think, so we're, Midtown, I think we're better friends now, actually. 
So because you don't have to be in a van with each yeah, other, yeah, right? dude. I mean, listen, I like we. I grew up with those guys before we were in a band together. Our bands used to play shows together every weekend. We were all in three different bands, and then we ended up going to school together. We lived in a house together. We had shows. We ended up living in a van together for like you know six, seven years. And after a while, you just want to fucking kill someone, you know. So that's kind of happened. And then like towards the end, we just wanted to murder each other. You know, we stopped doing the band. Like we didn't even say anything. We just like fucking stopped hanging out. It's like fuck this. And uh, we didn't talk for like six months a year. Then we talked again because um, we had to work out some money stuff, you know, and then, <laughs> and then, and then that was kind of shitty. Then we, didn't, we didn't talk for another three months after that, but now we're all cool. It's all good. <laughs> well, that's very good. I mean, cause, cause I, it seems to me that these guys, you know, in response, you're doing this thing and yours is kind of for lack of a better phrase, anti-scene and yet, but then again, I don't know. Being it's in definitely class, not anti-scene, bro. It, it, but it, it just, I, I'm just saying anti-established scene. It's just kind of like more like, you know, Gabe Supporter learns to use a calendar. <laughs> and some other people don't, and you know, that, that's what I'm kind of saying. Because you know, what do you I mean? Don't know. I, you know, I I like Tyler. I think Tyler's cool, but man, that whole classic rock thing, that oh. band of thieves thing, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of, you know, I you know, G two B two, great guy, well, bad band. That's well, that's that's exactly my thing. I think you know we're all like influenced by stuff from the past. All of us, everyone in Midtown, like you know any, any band is. But it's like if you try and do something that's that's exactly like that, I think Revitalist. you're gonna fail because the majority of kids aren't that deep of music fans. They want to listen to something current. They're not really digging into old records. Like musicians, like I know for me, like whenever I got into style music, I went in deep and I like found out about stuff that were early on to really find out where it came from. And most kids don't do that, you know. But, they don't care. But it's like, but it's they like if you care. want, but should I, they? I mean, should they? Oh, really? fuck that's There's the thing. so much. Why should be, they care? No, why should we, yeah, exactly. They're not allowed to they? listen to music if they don't know who influenced that and who influenced that. <laughs> Everything begets something else, you know. Who gives a fuck? So it's like you know, if pitch kids just be able to enjoy music that they want to hear and just just have a good time, you know. It's like they don't need to be experts. Not everyone is a music. Not everyone's Mr. Pedigree, you know. <laughs> so, Ooh, <laughs> so, sideways compliment. <laughs> that's <a total> <laughs> straight up. So it's like so you know, even myself too that I'm taking influence from electronic. I don't know everything about electronic music. I don't. I I probably know shit about electronic music. But I just know that I like it. I know that I have garage bin. I fuck around with it, and I'm taking advantage of it. And it's like that's that's all I gotta know. And I just can infuse that with my own creativity, and hopefully come out with something that's, if it's even remotely original, that's cool. Even if it's not original at all, that's, that's also cool because cool yeah. kids like it. You know, as long as as long as people are having a good time and just like are psyched. Who gives a fuck, you know? But it's like kids are not going to be psyched if you're just going to be doing something that's revivalist, you know? It's like your legacy rock, you know? And that's kind of what I feel about the scene in a lot of ways now. It's like kids are just like bands that like were still around 10 years ago are doing the exact same thing now and just for the sake of doing it because because the kids on the boards like their first records better. But it's like they're not getting the newer kids, the young kids, you know? It's like everything needs to keep moving. And if it doesn't keep moving, you're fucked. What type of advice would you like to partake to anybody who's starting a band that wants to wants to you know make it i'm not saying like be you know you know be a mentor but i just want you guys to kind of you know talk about the whole you know social aspect of it versus the aesthetic argument i mean you get bands now it's like yeah we're really good and we're 18 years old and our favorite band is Avenge sevenfold. Yeah. You know what I mean? But it's oh. just what I'm saying. I'm not making an aesthetic judgment. I'm making a thing like the stuff that you are being into is like right button up against, you know, your influences. You want to ape your influences and that window is so small. Yeah. You know, whereas, you know, like, you know, maybe Tyler's rocking his old, you know, 
Boston records or Crosby, Stills, and Nash records or something. I don't know. I think the biggest mistake that people in bands make is that they think they're going to meet someone. They try to network with people, you know? I had this dude, like, straight up came up to me the other day. goes, hey, man, what's up, man? I'm a singer. Can I just network with you for a minute? I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> you want to network with me? <laughs> yeah. You seriously just said that? Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like it's like you think you're going to meet someone that's going to have the magic wand and, like, go, Take your bing. demo CD. Yeah. Oh, like, yo, bing, you're a superstar. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's not going to happen. The most important thing you can do if you're in a band is just get fans because that's the one thing you can create that no one can give you and that no one else can create for you but that once you have it it's your biggest your biggest commodity it's your biggest currency that you can use for anything you know and it's like not to not to objectify it like that but it's just like you know fans like the best thing you can have like those are the kids that are responsible for your livelihood and those are the kids that are going to come see you when you open for another band and those are the kids that are going to be able to make you get into bigger tours and to put out records and everything that you want to do is only viable if you have someone that's listening to it Well said, Mr. Supporter. Thank you. That was the hardest thing for me to realize too, by the way. It's the hardest thing because like as an artist- At the, at the, end, at the end of Midtown, were you, just, were you feeling like FTK or what? What's FTK? Fuck the kids. Oh yeah, totally. Because I, it's like, I felt like, I felt like I made a record that I poured my whole heart into and like, was it really like, uh, uh, for me, it was a transcendent record, you know, it was like this amazing thing for me. And it's like, and I feel like people just glossed it over and just didn't get it. And it, and it, even though once got it, didn't get in the way that I intended and it frustrated me even more. So it's just like, so I just was feeling like completely misunderstood, you know, and cliche misunderstood as an artist. And then I just realized, you know, it's like so self-righteous of any artist to think that way, because it's like, you know, it's like, of course, you're not going to always be understood. You know, that's, that's, that's the, that's, that's the, you know, that's, that's why you become an artist because you, you're not understood, but you're not going to be understood. And if you think you are, then you're fucked anyway. So it's like, you might as well be grateful for what you do have. And that's the problem is that like, as an artist, you keep challenging yourself to make greater music and you're thinking about your music and your art and your aesthetic and all the shit. And all the while you're forgetting that the only reason you're allowed to do that is because you have kids supporting you and you just lose focus on that. And most bands do, and they take it for granted. So for me, it's like, after that, I just made a conscious decision that I was never going to take that for granted. Understand this, Cobra Starship's Viva La Cobra is about as much fun as you can have with your clothes on. Gentlemen, thank you so much for coming by. Thanks for having me. I pre- appreciate all of your, all of your insight and, and, and kind words and, and rocking of the French techno disco, as it were. Uh, what would you like to, what would you like to leave, get, walk out of here with, listening to what? Good question. Cobra um, Starship, kiss my sass. Sure. <laughs> Gentlemen, thank you very much. This has been the AP Podcast. My name is Jason Pettigrew. Take care of yourself. They say that kid has got... I'm bringing sassy back. I never think that you don't. You can't forget. Because y'all know nothing but my name.
don't get it, let me repeat it Just forget what you thought But I'll let you see Over and over again What you say Is nothing new to me, honestly They say that Kitty's got soul I'm everywhere that you go podcasts are recorded at Lava Room Recording Studio in Cleveland, Ohio, a New York City quality studio at Cleveland Prices. Check out www.lavaroomrecording.com. For more information on Alternative Press Magazine, go to www.altpress.com. The podcast engineer is John Walsh. Post-production assistance from Rob Tenzi. I'm Mike Shea, and this is All My Fault. You can reach me directly at www.myspace.com/slash Mike Shea AP. That's S H E A like the stadium AP. 